0: Once again, welcome to Swing Thoughts. Great to be with you on TSN 1150 in Hamilton and around the world. Uh, now, going on uh, three years, which in the life of a podcast is like forever. Uh, I'm Humble Howard from a Humble and Fred Show Golf's uh, spiritual leader, along with Tim O'Connor, the mental performance coach at the Glen Abbey Golf Academy, head coach of the uh, Guelph Griffins golf team, and a, uh, a fine. And uh, hail, fellow well met, no matter who you are and where you travel. Mr. O'Connor, good to be with you as always.
1: Yeah, good to be with you. Um, you I got a cool thing going on this week that uh, I don't know I'm hoping that it relieves your pain in your shoulder. How's that going? <laughs>
0: I don't know. I'm uh I go you know it's funny I've been on uh, I've had to withdraw from uh, so many golf tournaments that I was looking forward to the there was one tournament I withdrew from from that I've only qualified once in 20 years. It's a uh Champion and Champion and I was like I mean in 20 years from now I'm going to be nearly 80. I'm not qualifying for anything. Uh, anyway, my shoulder's fine. I haven't started playing again yet, and but uh... so
1: it has like like people. I want you to understand this guy. This <laughs> reads golf, obsesses about tournaments and stuff, and he's, he's it's like taking steak away from someone who that's all he eats. Exactly. So you know, I hope you're surviving. You finding other things
0: to do occupy no. your time. <laughs> no, I'm not. You're just um, finding. Just being miserable. Uh, we're going to get to our guest here in a second. By the way, on this show, uh, before this first segment is done, toward the end of the very first segment, we will announce our latest winners. Of course, this program is brought to you by TaylorMade, number one driver in golf, obviously. And um, I think uh, am I. M- Am I not mistaken? Was was Kepka not using I think he was using a TaylorMade driver. Uh at the PGA channel. You know who you know who will know? Bob Weeks will know. That's our first guest in a second. Uh we're gonna give of course brought to you by TaylorMade and Adidas. Uh we've got some wonderful Adidas uh stuff to give away, and it all looks amazing. You know, you look at some of the guys that are Adidas guys, there's Dustin, there's John Rom, there's uh Sergio. There's you. Y'all look great in it. And uh and, you. and a quick shout out to uh our friends at Bushnell. Thanks to my buddy Sean Casey. Our friend Sean Casey hooked us up. And uh, the folks at Bushnell want you to know theirs is the uh the V four tour uh rangefinder is the uh it's the uh, what do they call that? The like, Range Finder No not the Range No the the the,
1: the go to, the you know what I'm saying, Tim. The one you got to The
2: gold get. standard.
1: Here, you say, here, Bob, here's the problem with doing a podcast with guys that both combined ages are 130. Um,
0: the, it's the gold standard of range finding. Uh, whatever it, it is. Yeah. Whatever right. that thing is. The Bob that you're uh, talking about has uh, been a reporter and an analyst in the world of golf and curling which I grew up loving. I I grew up at the Moose Jaw g and C, and it didn't stand for Country Club. It it stood for Curling Club. Like a lot of golf courses on the prairies, curling was a huge part of of life, And, and Bob has been part of both golf and curling for a long time recently, not recently, but has been inducted into both the Canadian Golf Hall of Fame and the Canadian Curling Hall of Fame, and I can't think of very many other people that, uh, have that distinct honor and we're happy to have Bob with us. Bob Weeks, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you guys. I'm an avid listener and love, uh, love what you guys do and, uh, what you talk about. So it's great to have a chance to chat with you guys.
0: Is curling somehow, were you a good curler as a kid too and a good golfer?
3: Uh, I was always a better curler than I was a golfer. I actually played, um, played in provincial championships as a junior as a curler and then later on after a little while I actually curled with a guy that people may know by the name of Eddie Wernick and, oh, yeah. and another guy one of my close friends John Kawaja who is also a big guy in the golf business he uh, was head of TaylorMade for a number of years and uh, now has moved on to another company but um, I was always a better curler than I was a golfer and I was never a great golfer I mean I'm an average golfer um, but I, I loved golf a lot probably probably a little bit more than curling That was where the distinction fell
1: what attracted you to curling? Was it uh, the drinking copious amounts of beer <laughs> you have done, or, or the weightlifting now, or what yeah. is it?
3: Um, you know, it was a real social game, and it was really your your whole sort of uh, social calendar in the winter revolved around going to different little bonds fields, always mixed bonds fields, which is another attraction. Yeah, um, you go around around Toronto or southern Ontario, and you'd play in these these little bonds fields, and and then same thing transferred through to university, and then uh, and then afterwards it was a little bit more competitive. Uh, when I finished university but I think that the social aspect of it and back in those days there was probably a little more socializing than there is now since it's been in the Olympics it's uh it's a, the guys I won't say the guys don't socialize but uh, not like they used to
1: and how did you get into journalism and combine curling and golf with that aspect of your career
3: well, I always wanted to go into journalism. I actually thought when I finished high school I wanted to be a TV cameraman, and I went to I went to the University of Windsor where they have a great communications program. And I spent about the first five minutes behind a camera and realized that's not what I wanted to do. So I always wanted to get into journalism, and I loved I loved long form writing. That's uh, that was kind of my passion. And I had worked summers in a golf course uh, at in Toronto, a municipal golf course called uh, Scarlet Woods, just a little executive course. Just kind of where I cut my teeth. And, and for a while I was trying to think about what do I know enough about that I could write a story about? And, and golf kind of came up. So I submitted a couple of story ideas to uh, John Gordon, who was then the editor at score golf. And uh, lo and behold, he accepted them. I think he always says that might be the best or the worst thing he's ever done in his <laughs> career. And, uh, and it kind of went from there. It just, uh, I just kind of knew enough, a little, maybe not a lot, but I knew enough about golf that I could actually put a uh, story together.
0: You know, I've met Bob I don't know Bob very well. I know Tim, you know, and much better than me, but I've known of Bob Weeks. I've been in this market a long time and as Tim mentioned I'm an avid golfer. So recently I watched your you guys do this thing on TSN sort of during the early rounds of majors and most recently at the Masters. And whenever I see Bob Weeks Especially now, because you're looking good, by the way. I don't know what age you are, but whatever it is, you're looking good. And I thought, there's Bob Weeks at the Masters, hanging out, talking golf with David Hearn, a kid I competed against. And I think to myself, does anybody have a better job than Bob Weeks? And I know you get that all the time.
3: I do. Uh, it is a common occurrence. I was out for dinner last night and uh, a couple of people came up and sort of said that same thing. And it, it listen, it's a great, it's a great, Job. I've traveled all around the world on the company dime, and I've seen some great moments in golf. I think I've seen. I think we're trying to put it together the other day either twelve or thirteen of Tiger's fifteen major championships um, played. Had a chance to play Augusta National and other courses. So it's been it's been a great ride, that's for sure.
1: Well, one of the things that reminded me of um, of what you've done in the game, and you know, you and I go way back. I mean, I remember. For, so I used to when you were the editor and I wrote for Score. I remember. I remember the first time I delivered a story to you electronically, <laughs> and it kind felt of like our computers were talking to each other. And we're going like, "Hey, Bob, I'm typing this, and I can see, and you're typing back to me." I mean, that's how far back we go to the 90s. But what reminded me of um, that you'd be um, a, a great guest for this show was the piece that Jason Logan did in score on a retrospective on Brooks Henderson uh, winning the Canadian Women's Open. And, um, so I invite you to tell the story about you emceeing the, uh, ceremony at the end and, and, and the questions you asked that, uh, well, I'll let you take it away.
3: <laughs> well, okay. So last year, Golf Canada asked me if I would host the, uh, the closing ceremonies, uh, at both the men's and the women's opens and the men's went smooth. Fine. Dustin Johnson we asked him a couple of questions and presented him with the trophy and all that. And then, uh, we got to the women's and of course it was a historical moment. And it was uh, as it, <laughs> it was a freezing cold day. It was probably eight or nine degrees by the time we were doing the, the, the ceremony, and uh, we stood up there. and Brooke had been showered in um, showered in in champagne. I think it was her dad had poured it all over. Her. So she took her jacket off. She was just in a shirt sleeves, and I could tell she was shivering as we were going through this this ceremony. But um, I asked her two questions. One, was, well, first of all, it was raining as well to add to the boot because I had, a, uh, I had a, been given a, um, a message that Jocelyn Barassa, the first Canadian to win that tournament, had handed over to us. And uh, I read that out, but it, it got wet. The sheet got wet. Tan Pino from Golf Canada gave it to me. And so I had to kind of, um, I guess, plagiarize or, <laughs> or, or do the best I could to kind of recreate what she had said from my memory. Uh, anyway, then uh, I asked Brooke two questions. That's what they said. Just ask her two questions. So the first one was about, you know, how many times did you imagine this moment? Uh, growing up in in Ottawa and the you know, Smith Falls and, and sinking that putt to win the tournament, and she just thought that was great. She started to laugh a little bit actually about it, and then the very next question I asked was about um, was about her two grandfathers. She lost both her grandfathers in the months just preceding, and then she started to cry right on it. And then she cried right on my shoulder. So essentially, I in within the space of about two minutes, I had her laughing and crying at the same time, and uh, it was um, it was a poignant moment because Bernard Bro, who's a photographer for Golf Canada. Took two pictures of both those those moments, and I had them uh, framed together. And I don't keep many, I really don't keep many souvenirs or golf things around my house at all. But that's one that that did go up on the wall.
1: I remember you said from that from that piece and score that, oh no, I'm going to remember as the guy who made Brooks Henderson cry.
0: Yeah, <laughs> nice work, Weeks. Exactly. <laughs> well done. We we're glad we. You know, there there's. I know. It's, I'm interested. You say you didn't keep a lot of memorabilia. But in your memory bank, from time to time, even you that has had so much access to uh, golfers and golf situations, are there moments from time to time where you kind of go, wow, man, I can't believe I was there for this? Uh, I mean, that Brooke Henderson moment's an amazing one. But do you have a few others that, when you're asked, like you're being asked now, that you come up with?
3: Sure. Um, You know, the wins that... Obviously, Mike's win at the Masters, Mike Weir's win at the Masters, was a very, very special moment. And and what we had to do afterwards, uh, to kind of get the story done, scrambling around, there was a really, there was a really funny one that I haven't, I don't know, can't remember if I've actually told this too many. But uh, when Mike won for the first time at the Air Canada Championship, which was the first Canadian win on, on Canadian that, soil, that was
0: in Vancouver, right?
3: That was in Vancouver. Yeah. Yeah. Score Golf had been hired to do a to, to create the pairing sheets. We we were in charge of putting them and selling the ads in it. So my job every night was to put all the pairing sheets together, send it out to the printer, and they would be delivered the next day. Well, two time two nights in a row, both Saturday and both Sunday, I missed a slot. So you can imagine having a pairing sheet that has is missing one of the tee times. So you're walking down and you see you know let's see you see Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth playing. And then in the next group, you see, um, I don't know, Mike Weir and, and JJ Henry playing, but, but it's not. There's, there's a missing piece in this puzzle. <laughs> and the guys who are, the guys who were organizing the tournament were so mad, obviously. They only knew that they could find me in one place. They knew they could find me in the press room. So I said, I better not hang around in here. So I better go out. So Saturday morning, I went out and I walked all 18 holes with Mike Weir, who at that point was just kind of in the middle of the pack, but he shot 64. I did the same thing the Saturday night, forgot it again, at one on Sunday again, so I, uh, I did the same thing. I raced out, and I said, okay, I'm going to go watch Mike Weir, so I ended up watching all of the uh, 36 holes of Mike Weir's final two rounds to win the Air Canada Championship, and at the end of the things, everyone laughed about it, but I'm sure they weren't too happy at the time.
0: That's unbelievable. Um, You know, we all know, uh, we're all friends with Lauren Rubenstein, uh, you guys as colleagues, me as a guy, played with same golf course as Lauren for 16 years, and I used to ask him the same things. If we were on a par three and we had to wait, I'd say, hey, Rube, give me a, you know, give me a story from your golf life, and he, he would tell me these tales of being given tips, golf tips, by Watson and you know, and all these famous players. How about you? Did you have, have you ever had a, a golfing moment as a player where you're like, hey, Bob, guess what? You're going to get to play with so-and-so tomorrow.
3: Uh, I have a couple of stories in that one uh, I played once in the Byron Nelson Pro-Am with Sergio Garcia and we stood up on the first hole and there was I don't know maybe 2,000 people lining the hole and I cold could
2: <laughs> as as
3: my tee shot it was one of those ones that had the big overspin and it rolled and rolled and rolled and went about 30 yards and you've never heard people being so quiet in all your life and then Sergio started laughing at me and I'm like <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the best one, and then there was a this is this just doesn't involve me getting a tip, but um, a few years ago there was a uh, web.com tour event out in Nova Scotia that I went out to, and they, they had a, an event on early in the week where they brought in Mike Weir, and uh, Graham Dillette and David Hearn were playing against a team of Americans led by Tom Watson. Anyway, they had done the event, and there was going to be a dinner, and they, there was about seven of us who were in the locker room showering, and and. All of a sudden, Brad Fritz, who was on that team, came around the corner and says, "Guys, you got to see this!" So we all went around the corner into the shower room, and there was Tom Watson giving Mike Weir a tip while both of them stood stark naked. It was <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: to be clear. To be I've clear, you mean a golf tip, Bob? Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Let's be, exactly. this We're, st- we're still on terrestrial radio as well. You—that's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. So,
1: so they make this semi sound grown up, uh, Bob. You've been around uh, a lot of major wins you saw Brooke I don't know if this puts you on the spot but in terms of the mental game what do you observe among players particularly in those high stress moments you know coming down this down the stretch I, like Jim Nance uh said when Tiger was waiting to you know just put that 18 incher in at the Masters, I wonder what he's thinking about it. and I was thinking uh, I don't think he's thinking about winning the tournament. He's present. So what do you see in players like that in those moments?
3: That's interesting. There's two two things that stand out for me. The first is, uh, well, first of all, I always like to try and get out on the golf course. And I know a lot of journalists will stay in the media room because it's a little easier. And I try to get out on the golf course as much as I can to, to witness that. Because you get and you can see a lot more of what's going on. And going back to that Brooke Henderson when you know, someone says to me what stands out. And I think I wrote that in that piece on Score Golf where I said that – um you know, I could tell how dialed in she was because generally when she walks between a green and the next tee, she'll smile, she'll bump fists or give high fives to some of the kids who are around there. But she was so dialed in and so focused and yet at the same time she looked very, very calm. Lori Kane refers to when Brooke's in that mode as having her goalie goalie eyes, where you can see she's not thinking about anything else about them except the next shot and she's very dialed in and yet at the same time relaxed. So I don't know if those two kind of jive with each other. And then going back to that Vancouver tournament with Mike, you know, Mike was the very, and same thing when he won the Masters, he was a very, very focused guy as well. Um, But in in talking to him afterwards, he said, you know, there were certain things that were spinning around in my head. And when he was standing on the 18th tee at the Air Canada Championship, I said, what did you talk about? What did you think about? He said him and his, his caddy, Brandon Little at the time, actually started talking about wrestling. The big-time wrestling, you know, WWE was big back then, and he said he wanted to kind of get distracted because they had a bit of a weight and he didn't want to have to think too much about it. But in both those guys, you can see, about both those players, Brooke and Mike, you can see some similarities in just how calm but how focused they are um, in those high-stress situations, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why they've been so successful.
0: That uh, that voice you're hearing is uh, Bob Weeks for many years, uh, Score Golf Magazine's editor. Most recently you saw him on uh, a lot of coverage On TSN's uh masters coverage. Um I want to get back a little bit to the the idea that you've been you and Tim and Rubenstein have been journaling been in journalism golf journalism for a long time and just before you came on this morning, Bob, Tim and I were talking about the evolution of golf coverage. You know, you mentioned Tim that you remember your first email with Bob, which I thought was a very romantic and touching moment. <laughs> thank,
1: um, you, thank you. But yeah, uh, connected, I was feeling the I, I was feeling the love there.
0: <laughs> but but it, it does speak to the fact that you know when Score Golf was a physical magazine, I just and it still is. It's a great looking magazine, but now a lot of everything happens online. What do you think, Bob, in terms of the evolution of covering golf and the way that golfers have to have? More access, and we all need to be in there. You know, know exactly what they think all the time. You know, and, and I'll and I'll connect this to Brooks uh, Kepka in a second. But what do you think?
3: Well, the evolution is. I mean, it's like every kind of journalism, I guess. You know, you 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 really are, um, you really are trying to. Uh, I mean, nowadays I do as many things as I possibly can. You know, I still write stories I, uh, on TSN.ca. I'm on. Um, you know, I'm on podcasts like with you guys. I'm on, um, I'm on television. You know, you have to be on Instagram. You're on social media doing all those kind of things. So you have to be a one trick pony. So from that end, from the journalist's end, you have to do a lot more things and you just have to be good at all of them or, or as good as you can at all of them. On the other side of it, you know, I see from the players, it's tougher and tougher to try and get access to the players. Now, if you have a, build up a good relationship with them and they trust you, it comes a little easier. And, you know, I have, I don't know, 25 or 30 guys in my, phone where I can text them right away and they'll text back to me. I don't, but there are some guys I still have to go through the agent. You have to set it all up and make sure it's okay. So that part of it's a little bit more difficult. The the thing that scares me the most right now is how some of the top players, such as Tiger Woods, such as Rory, are aligning themselves uh, exclusively with Certain media outlets like Golf TV and Tiger Woods have a relationship where the first sit-down interview after his Masters win with with with, with Golf TV. So yeah, I saw that. Those things, are, those things to me are a little bit nervous when when you kind of they're not shutting everyone else out, but they're giving exclusive rights to somebody for money.
1: The the access that the fans have to social media and to, you know in real time they can get everything. How does that change the information that you give to the viewers? You know when you. When you're doing your all these different things that you're doing,
3: um, I mean, in some ways, the the player has a lot more leverage. You're using social media because they can go directly to the fan, so you know they can post things up. Like we found, that, you know, we find out when when Tiger is going to play next in certain tournaments by the fact that he posted up on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So, so those kind of things to me are are interesting. I like. I think it's. I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. But in terms of us, we're almost commenting on those things now, as opposed to dealing specifically with the actual player itself.
0: It's interesting you say that because I've even noticed that particular thing in in my regular job of you know interviewing and talking to different celebrities and musicians and comics is that sometimes rather than talking about them, we're commenting on things that they are they're posting. That the story that, is not just them anymore. It's it's them commenting on social media. I've only had I was I've had one article in Score Golf Magazine, and here's when it when it I when when the Golf Channel started. I was so enamored with it that I got a hold of Bob Weeks and said, "I love the Golf Channel," and I started watching all these guys on TV late at night with all these different methods of of learning golf. And I went down and interviewed somebody that I saw late night and in Arkansas, and Bob graciously ran the article my point being that it wasn't that long ago that we didn't have a channel that was 24 hours a day of golf like that's a 25 year pretty recent in, in guys our age you know
3: it's it's right i mean now you can watch european tour asian tour whatever you want in live time and you know it used to be you'd have to wait for the globe and mail to come back in the morning or the newspaper and look at the agate and find uh, find out <laughs> who <was> right what. <laughs> So it's uh, it's certainly changed, and it's I think in a big picture, while it's probably made my job and Tim's job and your job a little bit harder uh, or different for sure. I think it's great if you're a golf fan,
1: Bob. I want to ask you about uh, Brooks Koepka. Uh Obviously, the guy's won you know four of the four of the last eight majors. He's he's somebody you have to really pay attention to. But he's complained that people didn't seem that interested in him. Now, you're a media guy. You're making decisions on what news conferences to go to, who to speak to. Talk to me a little to us a little bit about what do you think has gone on with with that? You know, people talk about he's got a chip on his shoulder that he uses to leverage. But why do you think the media have been, you know, not perhaps giving him his due until now?
3: He's, um... You know, he's an interesting guy. I've, I've come to like him a little bit. He's, he's not a very outward bubbly guy like a Rory McElroy I'd say, you know, when Rory is, will speak his mind and talk about everything. Brooks is very much reserved, uh, very quiet. When he does speak, however, he's very confident. So uh, we did a sit down after his first major and he told me, he said, you know, I'm one of the most underrated putters on the PGA tour, which was quite a statement just to come right out and say, like a lot of other people would say, you know, well, I think I'm a pretty good putter. But he was very bold in his statements. But I think I think the I think one side that he's not necessarily the most outwardly interesting guy, like he doesn't make himself available in that way. And that's the other side is that from his standpoint, he hasn't opened up at all. He hasn't really given us a chance to get to know who he is. Um, I think now he's just gonna have to because he's he's won four majors, as you point out, and I mean he's really becoming one of the best players in the world. So I think you're gonna he's gonna have to do it. But it's 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 a fifty fifty side. I think the media didn't want to cover him because he wasn't really all that interesting, but he made himself not interesting by not opening up.
0: Well, he kind of reminds me of uh, Tiger Woods in a few ways, but not the least of which was for years, until quite recently, and I love Tiger, I've said he's the worst interview in sports. He he was. He was just, because he was guarded, and because he was focused, very much like Brooks Kepka has been, you know, it's like, so he's not a great interview, but he's won four of eight majors and he's become undeniable. Uh, listen, Mr. Weeks, uh, we have to, uh, thank you very much for, uh, doing this. Uh, we have to move on. Our first break is coming up in a second. For you, uh, golf nerds, we're going to announce the winners. Uh, after our first break, because we're kind of running out of time. Bob, thank you very much. Where do people get a hold of you? What are, what, I mean, I know they can come to your home, but, excuse me, but where would you like them to get a hold of you?
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's
3: right. There's a park outside my condo. You can meet me there on the bench. Uh, no, uh, you know, Twitter is is always the best, at Bob Weeks TSN is good or, uh, Instagram, same thing, at Bob Weeks TSN. I'm happy to chat golf to anybody who has some, some thoughts. So those are probably the two easiest ways.
0: Well, sir, I hope this won't be the last time you'll, uh, be part of our little TSN radio show now. And, uh, and by the way, you're looking pretty good in that, uh, commercial on the TV. Your golf swing looks nice. I'm telling you right now.
3: The Scores don't match, I can tell you that. <laughs> All right, kids. Hey, there you go, great, Bob Weeks. Fun. We'll
0: be back here in a second. It's uh, Swing Thoughts with Tim O'Connor and Humble Howard, and we'll be uh, with you in a second with some winners of some tailor-made clubs, not clubs, uh, balls, and some Adidas golf stuff to
1: wear. everything. A band is Dixie.
0: And it's good to have you back with us. This is Swing Thoughts, the uh, mental performance golf nerd podcast radio show. Good to be with you on TSN 1150. Uh, We were off for a couple weeks for the World Hockey Championships. Um, Great to have Bob Weeks on the show, Tim. That was cool.
1: Yeah, it was fun uh, to reconnect with Bob. Uh, Yeah, I go back to him... In, I might have been writing for, I think I was started writing for score in like 1985 or something. Wow. <laughs> and Bob was the associate editor, I believe at the time. Then he took over from John Gordon, become the, the dude there. And it was really, I really enjoyed working with Bob. Uh, and it was really interesting to see how he carved a space, uh, not just for himself, but I mean, but what I'm getting to is uh, he wrote, a blog that to me if you're an avid golfer and in the business it was a must read and every day he cranked that out and it was really good stuff everything from just his observations to news uh a really good golf journalist.
0: Um, want to thank, uh, our friends at TaylorMade, the number one driver in golf. And I am right. I think Brooks Kepka was using, uh, one of the TaylorMade drivers at the PGA, of course, Adidas. And congratulations to our winners of our contest a couple weeks ago. Uh, Brad Chillette, a longtime Swing Thoughts, uh, fan and supporter. Brad's got himself the Adidas prize package, includes 360 Boost shoes, shorts, and shirt, how cool is that, Brad Chillette. And also, wow. congratulations to uh, Damien O'Hara, who was uh, answered our skill testing question, which was Farmingdale, New York, where the PGA was being played. And Daryl Lucas, both get a dozen 365... Sorry, let me try that again. Both both get a dozen tailor-made TP5 uh, golf balls, which are awesome, and a cool tailor-made hat so once again brad chillette got the adidas stuff all the details will be in our facebook page daryl lucas and Damien o'hara uh in a second or two we're going to get a, a call from a, a buddy of mine who is the manager of the radio station that runs the humble and fred show and manages tsn in hamilton but he's a golf guy and he's responsible for getting us our little podcast onto tsn i didn't but i didn't realize tim what a nerd he was until I, I've been speaking to him recently. Uh, a few months ago, I sent him a copy of the Michael Hebron book, Play to Learn Golf. And uh, my friend who's going to give us a shout here, his name is Mike as well, he, he recently read the book and had a, a real interesting experience of, and it goes back to what we said on our very first show. We think we can take four to six shots off your your round, Without ever touching your golf swing, and and what we're going to hear in a few seconds' time is a story of somebody who just did, who did just that. So, I'm kind of looking forward to hearing because I talked to him last week, and and like I guess said I had no idea what a nerdy was until he took me through his round. And I'm like, dude, you're like a real golf nut. Um. Anyway, so we're going to talk to him as well in the next little bit.
1: What's What's really interesting to so many people is that they they. When you start talking about there's a, there's a different part of this game that's no, just not all about you know is am I on plane uh, am I accelerating on my putts am I keeping my head down that there's another part of the game that actually makes the game easier and more fun and they kind of, they, they it, it's like they're not the, the average golfer unfortunately doesn't get that the most crucial uh, area to. to to focus on is that space between your ears. And when they kind of get that sense, like, wow, it opens them up to new possibilities and just a a better sense of like, oh, really? I mean, I'm not a total basket case. I'm not a loser. Uh, I didn't start this game early enough. I don't practice enough. No, if there's a different way that just makes the game more fun and you actually play better. So,
0: For sure. And and it's interesting because the last little while Tim and I have been kind of I've been, I go back and forth. You know, one of the things that Hebron does talk a lot about in his book is that there are certain laws of, he calls them laws of the golf swing or laws of the golf club in terms of how it's made, what its design is, and how it's supposed to be used. But the phrase that he keeps coming back to in, in the book that I have read a couple times now is this phrase of in the ballpark, meaning, you know, listen if you're if you're taking your club from the ball way too far inside you 're no longer in the ballpark and you 're going to have to find out you know if you 're doing a few things that are so outside of you know sort of allowable within the laws of the how the club is made then you better get somebody to look at that but if you 're in the ballpark like this guy Mike his name is Mike neighbors. You know, he's a guy that shot most of the time in the 90s. So if you can shoot in the 90s, you can move the golf ball around the golf course. And and his like a lot of people as you just said, his areas of growth have a lot more to do about strategy and a sound mental approach than most people would ever believe.
1: Well, so much of it is based on on well the the golf club is the tool, right? And we use the tool in context. It's like, but people focus on how they're on, you know, just the nail, if you will, but not where it's going. So if you focus on that, you wouldn't, you wouldn't drive the nail into, into, you know, the piece of wood or whatever. It's the same. If you're all focused on hitting that little white ball, but not connecting it to a target, you can't use the, the tool in context with the ball to send it to the target. That's, I think, where a lot of people get lost in it because it's all about hit this little white ball thing, but if you don't connect it to where it's going, your body doesn't really know what to do, and that's why all kinds of stuff happens. I love None of it very good.
0: Yeah, it's like a lot of us golfers are just trying to, are focused on hammering, getting the hammer on the nail as opposed to where's the nail going. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that I work on in my golf swing is because, as you mentioned to Bob, like I, I really am an an avid student of the game as well, and and I want to get to it. Doesn't quite cover it. No, but. I know, I know, <laughs> but I want to. I want to get to a level where you need some instructional intervention because I want to get to an elite er level. But for the average player, which is what I think we're talking to most of all, are people in the handicap range. Not a lot of single digits. Statistically, there's only a small percentage of golfers that are in single digits. So a guy like Mike Neighbors, um, if you're going around somewhere between 90 and 100, I guarantee you, we guarantee you, we can help shave six shots off that that have nothing to do with hammering the nail. That has everything to do, and not just mentally preparing yourself, but strategically preparing yourself. And I think we don't talk enough about that because it's what you do in your coaching. It's what I do in, in my strategizing how to play a hole. There are ways, you know, a guy think back to the, the decade seminar you and I took together. And one of the revelations for me was it's not the birdies you make. It's the big numbers you don't make. So extrapolate that to a 12 handicap. If you don't make three triples or two triples around, and you make a couple bogeys instead of doubles, you shoot eighty-five every day, and that's oh, so what I think we're talking about.
1: Yeah, so it's again, it's it's within you know, we work within this context, and the context is you, if you want to score lower, and most people that's what they want to do in golf. Is, yes, is score lower. So, you know, each hole again to bring in our uh, our friend uh, Ed Coglin and from. From Ireland is like each hole is a puzzle to be figured out. So, you, you, so from that idea of like, how am I going to play this hole in a way that so I, within this context, I give myself the best chance? Maybe it's not hitting driver. Maybe it's not trying to cut the corner here. Maybe it's just getting myself out there in the middle of fairway with a shot. I feel fairly comfortable in hitting. That's right. Maybe I feel good hitting a five iron, but I don't feel good hitting a driver. So hit the five iron you're in the fairway aim for the middle of the green don't take on that back left pin with you know that's <laughs> cut beside the pond middle of the green and you know what you might get down in two putts and if it's three putts well a bogey it's not so bad
0: you know one of the thing we we we've been so lucky and i and i say this as honestly i'm so grateful that we have been even in our short time together so lucky to have access to some of these mental giants of the game. Ed Coughlin, Joe Parent, Carl Morris, Fred Shoemaker. I mean, it's pretty dizzying, the people we've gotten access to. You know, we talked about that with Bob Weeks, but I think we're lucky. You know, some of the conversations we've had with Ellen Langer and uh, – the ladies. Judson, Judson Brewer. Judson Brewer. Gabriel Wolf. Yeah. Gabriel I mean, Wolf. I mean, these are, these are titans of the mental, you know, I mean, Ellen Langer and, and Gabriel Wolf are just there in, in any, uh, metrics. They're, they're huge in terms of mindfulness, but it all comes down to what you just said. If I'm somebody that is struggling to break 90, I promise you this: If you had Timurai caddying for you, you'd break 90 every time you played. And I'm going to give you the example. You know, like if you're playing a par five this weekend that you can't reach in two, there's no reason you need to hit driver off the tee. I do that, and I can hit a green in two. But I, I look at a hole and if it's five over 520, if it's 540 or 550, I'm not hitting it in two. What am I hitting driver off the tee for? But to prove that I can. What you said about hitting 5-iron or a hybrid or, you know, if the hole is 490, you can hit a couple hundred yards in two shots times two, and then you got a little wedge to the green. It's so much easier. Hang on a second. Let me see if that's Mike Neighbors. Uh, Mr. Neighbors, is that you? Hold on. Oh, I think we're going to run into the same problem now because you won't be able to hear him. Oh, That's okay.
1: You 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 have a nice conversation. No, I'll
0: no, pick no. up Um You know I you know what I should have done? I should have sent him the uh You I tell you what, you have a nice conversation now. React to what I just said and I'll see if I can uh send him the Zoom invitation. How about and I'm that? That's
1: so old I forgot what you said.
0: <laughs> the idea that uh hold on, let's see if this works now. Let's see. Mike, are you there? Why am I not getting Mike?
1: Podcasts are fun, eh? You got people coming to your front door, and the dog starts to bark, and then you got technical stuff. It's it what it's what goes on. That's what makes podcasts fun to do.
0: Well, this is just like my radio show, though. Hi, Mike. Are you there? No, he's gone. Um, I'm gonna. Uh, so here, I'm going to do this. You react to the idea that you can play holes in a different way, and sometimes it's ego with guys. I got to hit driver. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: Well, the. Yeah, so much of what uh, particularly guys do is based on how they think they might be judged. Or what the other guys are going to think, oh, what do you know I didn't drive her for? Don't have to. You just play your own game. And it again, it comes back to what do you feel comfortable... And if the idea is to have fun, score well, and have fun, well, why not choose the clubs in which you feel... you feel really confident about hitting and you feel good in making the swing? I would say... That leads to more fun, and it certainly leads to better golf shots. Mm-hmm. Um, the it, it, again to connect to to Langer, um, Ellen Langer, she was talking about. What, what, most of us tend to go through life and golf in this mindless fashion. It's a par four, par five. I hit driver. Uh, I'm supposed to, you know, if I break, if I break, you know, a hundred or ninety, that's a successful day. To me, that's mindless. That's being caught up in this. This is the way we do things here. And that's not the way. The way you do things is do things for yourself in a thoughtful way, think about what you're really doing. That's why, it to me, it always comes back to, why do you play this game? And I'm not sure many people ever think very, you know, it doesn't require a deep think, but why do you play? And when you understand that, then it starts to inform the decisions you make on the golf course, you have like this foundation to draw from, and to me, having fun is is the key part and when i do that then i'm able to score well
0: amazing and you know i i like the idea that you know so much of what we do in this game and what we do in our day-to-day lives is sort of you know unconscious as you say ellen langer said you know we we just play the even especially on our home courses we play them the same way and yet You know, Ed Coglin would say that not only is every hole a puzzle to be solved, every shot is different. You've never played that shot. You know, you may get to the first hole of your course this weekend and go, "Well, here we go again. Always a par five, dogleg left," and and you 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 just go unconscious, and the same things keep happening to you. But if you can notice something different, then maybe you could also notice a different way to play that hole. And,, uh, as I say, you get back to the concept that you don't need to make a bunch of birdies and at at a twelve or a fifteen handicap, you don't even need to make a whole bunch of pars. you're going to make some. It's just not making doubles, triples and and others that will help you get to where you want to go, which is, as you said, a lot of us a lot of people want to shoot lower scores. Yes, we want to have fun, but ultimately, we're doing this because there's a competition involved. What do you yeah. think of that?
1: Yeah, well, to me, it's a both and. It's a both and. I I play golf because as a as a kid, I was competitive in all kinds of different sports, and became into golf. So that's partly what intrigues me. I want to play. I want to beat the people I'm with. I want to, you know, I want to take the cash at the end, and I want to do well in the club C. But if I'm not in a place where I'm like really digging this, like this is my house, let me add it. Let's have fun here. If I can have that kind of perspective and enthusiasm then I put myself in a place to play well but if I go into the golf into the game thinking like okay if I don't shoot you know for me if I don't shoot in like the the mid 70s this is a disaster day uh, I'm just setting myself up for failure
3: Mm -hmm.
0: you know I I like what you just said in terms I think we all have a number as much as we try not to (laughs) Uh, I mean, one of the great things about this show and, and, and doing the work that... Um... Oh, Mike, are you there? I am here, sir. Oh, my goodness. Look at that. It all worked out. Look my boy, Mike uh, neighbors just checked in. Let me just finish this sentence. I think that a lot of us have a number in mind, and even though we try and be uh, into the process of playing... It, there, there is a, there is a shadow somewhere out in the distance where, like, if we don't shoot this number, we're no good. Well, the fact is, if you want to shoot a lower score, you're going to have to do something different than you're doing now, and you're not going to go and get a, a, a lesson on your, your compression. You're, you just, just don't hit crappy shots um <laughs> okay listen here's what's going to happen we've got I, I mentioned that mike neighbors is the manager of the radio station that runs swing thoughts he's also the guy that's in charge of the humble and fred show but until recently i've known mike for 25 years and until recently uh tim i had no idea what a nerd mike neighbors was when, <laughs> when it comes to golf so we've got a few more minutes before we have to leave the terrestrial show, but we'll we'll hold you over for our podcast extra. So, Mike, say hi to
1: Tim. Tim, say hi to Mike. Hi, Mike. Hey, Tim. How are you? I'm really good. And and you, you should know that when he calls you a nerd, it, it's a nice thing. He's welcoming you into our community of of golf geeks and people who who like wearing collared shirts and that kind of thing. <laughs> well,
2: it's a, it's great to be part of that group because I, I certainly am a golf nerd. So,
1: Well, neighbors, uh,
0: it, I, I explained that a couple months ago uh, we were talking about the show. I sent you a copy of uh, Michael Hebron's uh, Play Golf to Learn Golf. And then tell the story you told me last week where most recently you sort of read the book. And, and it was a bit of a revelation to you as a lifelong sort of guy that hacked around golf courses. It was sort of new information, and, and talk a little bit about that, and then how you used it to uh, achieve uh, something uh, remarkable.
2: You know what? It, it, it I mean, I'll just just quickly give you a touch of background so you understand where I'm at, so I, so other people can sort of assess where they're at. At the age of fifty, I decided that I was going to, you know, sort of get a little more serious about learning the game of golf. I'd always just, you know, played four or five, six times a year. And I thought it's a game I can get better at as I get older. It's one of the few sports you can get better at uh, as you turn into your 50s and your 60s. And I thought, you know, I'm going to concentrate on this. I got fitted for clubs for the first time in my life. Um, I took those clubs out, and then I continued uh, to just be as bad a golfer as I ever was. Uh, So I read things. I watched YouTube videos. I tried different grips. I tried all kinds of different things. Um, and, and what it amounted to for the most part was there were some minor improvements, but it mostly amounted to a great deal of frustration, um, and, and a lack of achievement in doing anything better than sort of always shooting in the high nineties, if I was good and the low one hundreds, if I wasn't having a good day. Um, and then I, I read the book, Howard, you and I talked, I, I read the book and the thing, I, you know, the biggest takeaway I think was it reminded me, uh, uh, to have fun—that it's a game, um, and that you're supposed to be having fun—and if you're not having fun, then you really should probably put the clubs away and go do something else with your time because it is your your downtime. Um, and I went out. I, I I just had a different kind of attitude. I approached the shots as a kind of a game of trying to just make a good shot this time instead of worrying about the score or whether I was going to double bogey this one and the first game after reading that book um, and sort of adopting just a just a general feeling of wanting to have fun out there um, i shot an 89 first time i've ever broken 90 there you um, go and,
0: and, golf and clap I, tell you. golf clap i went out the
2: next game and shot 98 so <laughs> does it doesn't always work but I, 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 it's a new attitude as opposed to a new, a new swing thought, not to steal the title of your show. But it was a, a bit of an attitude and now I can, I think I can refresh, um, and have fun playing the game as I try to get back.
0: All right, Coach Tim, uh, you, you go first because there, isn't that exactly what you want to hear from somebody you're working with?
1: I hear that and, and you know what? I hear it constantly everything that he went, I'm just sure all these listeners who were driving and listening were like nodding. Yeah, that's me. Tried this, tried that, tried this, tried that. And it still sort of didn't work. And what a revelation. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have some fun. Oh my gosh. And, and, and be, and be in the moment of hitting golf shots as opposed to, Oh my gosh, I hope to hell I can, you know, shoot, you know, break 45 or something. Um, But you know what? What you're doing uh, to be a tiny bit coachy here for a sec is that you've you've kind of come upon this new possibility, this new way of being that you know have fun, hit shots, and you saw that. But you kind of fell back in your old behaviors a bit, which which what happens. So you'll get your reps in, and you'll start to this become kind of your new way of doing it. And so you'll get it, man, and it'll come along. But maybe just for our listeners like what's the what's the real difference between say hitting a golf shot and having fun and being all focused on oh my god I'm going to break 100 today
2: um, you know what it, it it I I was for me personally it was just trying not to keep score i you know i would put so much pressure on myself if i hit a bad drive now i'm I'm already thinking about the end result of that hole and that i'm gonna have to make a great shot here in order to get this thing back on track um as opposed to that simple thought of trying to um just make a great shot here um and and really i'm a score adder i I, you know what it's a terrible thing when you're i'm already i've already realized i'm you know, if I do really well, I can get a bogey on this one and, and <laughs> because I've already put myself in the Bible. And the other thing, it was actually Howard who said to me the other day that uh, we were having a conversation, and I don't cut myself enough slack for the fact that maybe I didn't get enough sleep the night before. Or, you know, I, I, I stayed out Saturday night, and I had a few drinks, uh, went out Sunday morning and was wasn't playing really well and didn't cut myself enough slack for I wasn't in the right frame of mind to play well.
0: Well, and that's what, you know, I I talked to Mike. Just a a couple quick things about your round, though. Um, The day you broke 90 for the first time, you also didn't start off all that well. In fact, it was a couple of holes, a little bit of a rocky start. And then even that didn't deter you from continuing to enjoy the day, have as much fun as you can. Because... Uh, and I, listen, it took me my whole life to figure out this wasn't supposed to be torturous. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, okay, listen, hang on, neighbors, just, uh, we gotta wrap things up for, uh, because, you know, you only gave us an hour. I mean, you know, we could do more, <laughs> but. Uh, we do want to thank, uh, Mike Neighbors, of course, the, uh, program manager, the ambassador of Funny on Funny a 20 and, and a friend of the show for a long time. I've been work. we worked together since the early 90s. Bob Weeks, Score Golf, thank you very much. Congratulations to Brad Chalette, uh, Damien O'Hara, Daryl Lucas, they won our tailor and Adidas prize package. Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca. Uh, that's, uh, that's that. Anything else I missed?
1: That you're a fine fellow in your own regard, and I hope your recovery from your shoulder
3: yeah.
0: continues. Yeah, I hope I get to play golf. Mike Neighbors is going to hang around for our podcast extra. Uh, we'll be back uh, next week. Thank you so much for listening to Swing Thoughts on TSN 1150 Hamilton. Everyone, hold on.
1: You get a shiver in the dark. It's raining in the park. The meantime down of the river you
0: stop stopping, your whole everything A band is blowing Dixie double ball time all right this is our uh, podcast extra neighbors Neighbors! yeah, yeah, yeah you i it's kind of cool so you so you were you didn't have a webcam with the computer you're using are are you using your phone or uh, a computer
2: I just—I've uh, got you. I can see you. I can see Tim. Um, no, we can't see. Uh, I don't you. have a webcam on oh, okay. this ca- on this That's computer. Fine. So, uh, but I called into the the Zoom media line and beautiful.
0: Got it. Uh, I was just wondering is that is that because it's a little bit the the quality isn't the greatest? Is it your computer? Or is it a phone? Is it using your smartphone? Uh,
2: no, I'm actually on a landline, so it, I I think it has to do with the computer meeting is maybe That's fine. an issue. I'm not sure.
0: So. Just getting back to the round of your life, you shoot 89, and, and what you were alluding to is, you know, a lot of us just expect every time to go out to be the same. You know, well, I had a great round last time. I'm mean, going to have a great round this time. But and what I was trying to explain to him, Timmy, is that, you know, e- even something a couple years ago, I was having some trouble finishing rounds. And, uh, I'd be like under par and I'd have like four holes to go and I'd, you know, shit the bed. And then O'Connor said to me, are you eating enough? And I was like, what? <laughs> I said, exactly. I said, what do you mean? And, and do you remember this time you said, you know, maybe I you do. could just, and, and I, it was, it was a funny little thing, but as a tournament player, you have to pay attention to that stuff because it's, it matters. Are you hydrated? Did you warm up enough? What is your energy level like? All of those things go into, you know. There's a, an old saying in golf, Mike. I don't know if you know this, but you know, h- after nine holes, guys have a hot dog and a beer and some chips. And it's like have a dog, make a double. The reason is because that's not what your body wants all at one time.
2: Right, Timmy. I I, I, I couldn't I couldn't uh, agree more. And I'll just share with you quickly the um, the day the next day after my remarkable 89. Uh, and I shot the 98 and I got about halfway, I got about to the 13th hole, I think. And, um, and I had become so frazzled, um, that I couldn't get anything straight off the tee. And, uh, I, I you know, I, I said, I was golfing with my brother and I said, I, am I'm, I'm paralyzed here. I just, I just don't even know what to think about next. Yeah. And, um, shortly after that, I got in the cart. I, I had a bottle of water. Um, and I, for whatever reason, just, I just drank the whole bottle of water and, within about a hole I felt the world's better and I'm like going damn it I was dehydrated (laughs) yeah yeah well that you know that a lot of
1: cool stuff and what uh, your experience there and one of those things is is um, when we have a good round or even say a good range session we get these expectations you know okay tomorrow is going to be this was great today tomorrow is going to be the same it's going to be a great game or you know this swing thought or this feel is going to continue and You know, I'm, I'm going to achieve mastery. Um, and it doesn't quite work out that way because we're, we're different every day. Different. Yeah. uh, Everything is different. Um, maybe we slept in a different way. We ate different foods. We had different conversations with people close to us, whatever. And and so we're different every day. And where I'm going with this is that just as you experienced, you probably weren't that connected to what you were actually feeling. Um, what was going on. And then you drank this. You bottle of water and went. Oh, I was really thirsty, and I didn't even really know it. That's right. And, yeah. And and that's what we're ta- so so much of golf, as in other parts, of golf, is about awareness. What is going on? And because you were caught up, and you're like, "Oh my God, where's the magic from yesterday? What am I supposed to do with my swing? <laughs>
0: Where did it go?" And it's funny because I said that to, I said that to Mike last week. I said, "You know, the hardest thing in golf is you have a great round." I said, "You see it on tour players; they shoot 63, and the next day they're struggling to break 70 because it's you know we're human beings. It's hard not to drag some of that with you, good and bad." But what Tim just said and what you explain about drinking water—it's almost like. You need something to dis, especially when we're playing a stretch of holes where it's not going maybe as, as planned, you need something to disrupt you, to bring yeah. you back to the present tense. And, and as far as you going forward, Mike, you know, one of the things we talk a lot about on this show is that you can have good scores without doing anything to your golf swing. And all you did was change your attitude and a little bit of your focus. And the next thing you know, you're, You're playing at a level you'd hoped to to play for, but just didn't think maybe was possible or available for you.
2: Uh, You're absolutely right about that. One of the interesting things, I think, you know, and I had a conversation, a couple of conversations about this. Um, we were talking about uh, when things got a little uh, off key about going back to course management. Like, we should always be practicing course management, but sometimes you get the big stick out and you want to really <laughs> wow one. And you, you know, you'd, you'd be much smarter to play a smart shot off the tee, but you don't, and then you mess it up, and then you get frustrated. Um, is there is there is there a point where we we talked about the idea that course management really uh, can be a, feel a little boring? It can feel a little safe, a little cautious. Is there is there a, a way past that other than trying to think of the end score? Well,
0: before Tim, let me just say this: what Tim just asked you, what what he said about. Oh, hang
1: on a second. There's somebody at my door. Oh, you guys talk. I'll be right
0: back. <laughs>
1: I love these podcast moments. I love them. You know, it's like, oh, excuse me. Uh, my phone's ringing. Oh, it's this guy. I don't want to talk to. I won't take it. <laughs> <laughs> What what Howard I think what Howard was going to connect to is about you know why do you play, you know right. if you know why you play, then that that directs everything and if there's yeah. times you, you're standing on the team, like it's about you know today I just feel like wailing this thing let the big dog hunt you know yeah. and I'm and I'm good with whatever happens if you're doing something else if you understand that and like take with the driver and wail away and have fun. Because, you know, every once in a while you'll find the ferry great, but if you hammer it, you know, into the boonies, well, that's okay, because today was about just having a good time and see what happens.
2: Right. That's an excellent point, because, you know, my, because you're kind of working at cross purposes there, aren't you, if you, if you want to just keep taking the big swing at it, but you, you, then, then you can't let, you know, but I still need to get a good score. Well, you have to pick one or the other.
1: It can be, it, it can be both in, 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 in many ways. Like to me, one of the, the, what I get out of golf in many ways is this, is the strategizing and the figuring it out. And okay, what's right. the optimal shot here? I get as much satisfaction of that than the kind of the, the visceral, you know, feeling of making a golf swing and the wham, hitting the ball and watching it go. Um, yeah. again, it's, it, it's, it's a combination. It's always what, it always comes back to what allows you to play your best and 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 to have the experience you want to have. So yeah. if your experience is about, you know, there's all kinds of different combinations. Some, Carl Morris uh, uses the phrase exhibition golf. That if it's about hitting the ball farther than your buddies and seeing how far it goes and can you hit this green in two and you know put the you know thread the thing through the eye of the needle. Great. Have at it. That's, that's fun. But if you do want to score and you get satisfaction from, and since fulfillment from that, well, then you have to work within that context.
0: Um, I'm back now. Thank you very much for that indulgence. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm hey, I'm also running a good business here. That was a, a potent, a client. It doesn't matter what that was. Um, you know, it's funny because sometimes I'll be on a course and I'll be playing with somebody, you know, a little higher handicapped than me. And they'll be like, Hey, what club you hitting there? And I'll go, I don't know, it's a seven iron. No, you, whatever the number is. And, and the inference is that they hit the same number club as me. And I, and my response always is if you want to see how far I can hit a seven iron, we'll go to the driving range. But right. I'm trying to hit a shot here. So if I want to hit my seven iron 152 and cut it underneath the wind to a back right flag, that's different than the 175 yard seven iron I'm going to hit in another circumstance. Because to me, the shot, isn't about how far, it's where it's going. And what I, what I caught you saying there, Tim, and I totally agree is if you, it goes back to what you were saying about you have to decide what it is you're golfing for. And if you're golfing to have fun with your buddies and drink some beer and do all that, that's great. But then don't, don't also, which is the dichotomy of golfers, but then don't also be upset if you shoot 97. Because in order to shoot 87, there's a few things you have to adjust. And sometimes that adjustment might be hitting 5-iron off the tee in a par 5 that you have absolutely no no chance of ever reaching in 2. But if you hit 3 5-irons, we can make bogey or par at worst. But if you hit driver, 3-wood, hybrid, out of bounds, in the hazard, you make 9. And that's cool. <laughs> and, and it is. If that's cool with you, then that's cool.
2: Uh, it is interesting, uh, and I'd be just curious the answer to this one because if Howard, if you and I were standing on the tee uh, and we were both taking out a 7-iron, I would feel pretty good about myself that <laughs> I hit a 7-iron as far as you do, uh, not realizing that you could you can actually adjust it. I mean, I, I hit a 7-iron 150 yards, that's it. it if I'm full-out swing, it's 150 yards. I don't ever try to hit less than that. And I'm sure there are a lot of golfers who are in my boat where I'm just happy I have... A pretty good idea how far this one's gonna go.
1: For sure. Well, Mike, here's where here's where to me golf can really be a lot of fun. So here's my invitation to you is go to the driving range with your seven iron and hit as many different shots as you can. Hit try and hook it the most you ever have. Try and hit it low, try and hit it high, try and hit a try and hit a, a fade, slice it, and also see how short you can hit it with a full swing. Like just right. take take a swing and how short can you hit it and still hit it solid? And you might be amazed at what you can do. You can even right. do this. You can swing like I, I don't think what a golfer should ever swing any more than like 80%. Dial it back swing in your swing speed to 70%, 60, 50, 40. You'd be amazed at how well you can hit the ball uh trying all these different things. Cause you, you said you hit a seven iron 150 yards. No, you can do all kinds of neat stuff. Yeah.
0: And, and also, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, I I, and also know, uh, we're going to let you go here in a second, but I was going to say also know that it's okay to do that. That, you know, if you have 146 yards or 142 yards, you can choke down on your seven iron. And, and that's the point of what Tim said is that you sort of need to find out maybe there's some other options. Um, but, but mainly I just wanted to, to get you on. I mean, what a great, story of of just something you read helped you shoot a better number in a physical realm and and that's what I, we all love about the game is that there's a real connection between your attitude and the way you think and the the, the numbers that you can shoot and uh, thanks for doing that I appreciate it
2: well, thanks for sending me the book because uh, golf is uh, is fun again. And it, it hadn't been fun for the last couple of years. So I kept doing it out of some sense that it would be fun in the future when I get good at this. Uh, now it's fun to just try to be better at it. And I think that's, that's what I got out of that book. So thank you for that, Howard.
0: You're very welcome. I love that, though. It's, golf will be fun in the future when I get good at it. <laughs> I can't buddy, that is honestly, that was my whole golf life. Even as a scratch golfer, I thought, wow, one day this will be fun. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> ah!
1: Thanks,
3: Mikey. Have a great one. Nice to meet you, Tim.
1: Take care of you two, man. Cheers. That's
0: very that's Mike Neighbors. He's the uh, they we call them program directors in uh, radio and Mike uh for years wrote a uh uh, prep sheet we call them in the business where he would send me 10 pages of current advanced stuff each day he had a service that's how I met him and then about a year ago he approached Fred and I to uh, run our show on Funny 820 we were at the time working on Sirius and I wasn't sure I wanted to go back to Bell but I'll tell you this Mike Neighbors is the real deal he's a really good guy as you can as obviously yeah, that, you that, can was, tell. that
1: was really fun and boy oh boy um, <laughs> his Experience is just so typical and it's so weird in so many ways. It's like, like really, I want to make golf fun again. <laughs> I mean, like you would like that is such a bizarre thing. Like I so, know, like, like some guy said to say to his wife as he headed out the door, oh, I am going to play golf again today. <laughs> That's right. I gotta go. Like I, and
0: yeah. I, I, I don't listen. I don't know about, I don't, I've never been part of a tennis. Sport or I played squash and all these other sports, but I I never went to go you know skiing or snowboarding. And went oh I hope today is fun. <laughs> 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 I hope that it turns out to be okay because
1: a lot of days I do this are miserable, miserable. I know it's it's so weird, Um but I you know I think if there's anything that people get from this sport from this uh, podcast is that. You can balance it. You can you can play well, shoot your numbers, uh, lower your handicap, do well in your club C, and have a good time and learn stuff about yourself. I mean, that to me is the the really the beautiful parts of golf. Is that you know I can see how I respond in certain situations and go, wow, I just learned that you know that I you know, what I learned about me to make this specific is that. When I'm in moments of stress, I physically tighten up. I feel my shoulders, and so what I became aware of is, I in in situations where I thought I had to hit a shot, that I just put like the death grip on the club, and like that swing was like zero, so fast and totally disconnected. And so, so golf helped me come aware that I also do that in my other parts of my life. Is I tend to tense up sometimes, and it was just like, oh, just do, just breathe, and just okay. And, re- and relax, and no, that doesn't mean fall down asleep, what it means is just be there and allow myself to just do what I, you know, what I can do
0: I have one uh big idea for you, and one small idea for you, what would you like first the small idea
1: um, no big okay, so big. I'll give you the big a short idea short attention span as you know and, uh-huh. I might be
0: tuned out by the time we get to this. So you, we we've talked about this now for years. You you know you asking uh, when you get a new client or a student, somebody you're coaching. We, we you talk you know why are we play, why are we playing golf? Hebron says that in the beginning of his book. You know you have to decide what it is you're doing this for. We have to know what kind of golfer we want to be so that we're not just a number on the scorecard. And I thought about this recently, why is golf, so why do we play golf is one question we should ask, but you should also ask and understand, why is golf so tough? because i think if you connect if you can understand what makes this so much more difficult than any other sport then maybe you'll allow yourself as i said to my client mike neighbors i said you got to be kinder to yourself no, if you're hungover absolutely. and you haven't had a proper breakfast and you're you've also just had your best all those things maybe this isn't the the day you're going to have your course record but if you if you don't know why golf is so tough then when it's tough you'll be like i'm su- i'm surprised so, one of the things that I think, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this, about why it's so tough is because unlike other sports, if you and I were, were teammates on an old guy hockey team, then we could actually have a game where, you know, we had some good skating around, but nothing we did that game. We didn't get an assist. We weren't on the ice for a goal. Yeah, maybe we inadvertently prevented a goal. But we can literally play an entire game of hockey and have no influence on the outcome of it. Mm -hmm. But golf, the moment we peg it on hole one, the first shot of the day has a direct influence on the outcome of the day, and that's why it's so tough.
1: I think one reason that golf is so tough is that uh, people equate my ability to hit a golf ball with my worth, my ability My traits as a human being. I think that's it right there is that if I, if I hit a, if I go on a first tee and I cold top one in front of 10 people, what are they going to think about me? Oh, for sure. And, and, and what am I going to think about myself? And to me, that's part of why it's so tough because it plays to, it sounds so dramatic, but it plays to our fears that we're not enough and we can't you know we're not as competent as we thought we were, and when we confuse that with, you know, when you confuse your self identity and, and and this measurement, I mean, there's not many sports, you know, in an individual sport where how you did that day is written in cold black and white on a card. It's a measure in so many ways of how you did, and you don't do that in pickup hockey. No, and you sure. don't do that in, but, in other sports. But what you're
0: saying, you're explaining mentally why. What makes that, that activity so difficult, but it's the idea that every, every mo, every shot you make from the first to the 18th has, has consequence, has a, has a worth in terms of the outcome of your day. And then, of course, it's all them, the insecurities and what it makes me, if I don't do well, I'm, then I'm not a, a good person. But I think if, if you can, keep in mind that it's a very, you know I mean i somebody else said this to me recently it's a tough game and when you see high high level players struggling as we did at Beth page you you you're reminded about how tough it is and yes what you said of course is the reason we're doing this show but I, I just wanted everyone to just sort of have a a takeaway of just think about that it's not to scare you but it's to remind you that you know it's not an easy thing to do and it does yeah. test us you know from the second you peg it on one you're now being examined and then as you just said that examination brings up a lot of other things about ourselves
1: and you're playing, you're playing outside you're playing in an environment where there's say wind and temperature changes and you have you know, like the designers of good golf courses are deliberately screwing with you Yeah, they're they're putting up challenges. They put bunkers in places where they look like the bunker is, say, right in front of the green, where in fact they're like they could be forty yards ahead. They're messing with it all kinds of different ways to make it to to increase the challenge and thus more fun. So it's hard that you get funky lies, you get the ball above your feet, you know, it's in tough grass, all that kind of thing, and just I think also what makes the game really hard too is that. As Mike was talking about when his game, you know, he shoots the eighty nine, and you know, maybe he thinks that now I'm transformed. <laughs> that's maybe. All right. Now an eighties. I golfer. only shoot in the eighties. That's right. That's it. And then the next day he can't. So what's he trying to do? He's trying to figure out his swing. Boom. He's in his head. He's trying to think about all this stuff. And actually, and hitting golf ball is a physical thing. And I think that that that's uh, so many people just for they just lose that connection to use this tool, golf club you make it collide with the ball to send it to that target and when we lose that that physicalness to the end it becomes a harder game what you say
0: um, well, I think that is uh, very true, I think we should wrap it up here's the small idea by the way so the big oh. idea is I want you to ruminate on this is one of the toughest things to do and why it's so tough but here's the uh, small idea, have a listen can you hear that? No. Yeah, it's funny. I, I just don't know uh, how to feed what's going on on my computer to you. I, it, you should be able to hear it. Well, what it is, everyone else can hear it. What it is is a metronome. And uh, one of the things I learned, I didn't learn it, but one of the things I was reminded of this week is uh, our friend Jonathan Wallet from the Elite... Coaching Academy. Uh, I've been taking his online course, and it's all about it's it's for elite players, but it's it's practice habits for all players. And and I passed on a couple little games that I learned from him. But one of the things I started doing this week that I hadn't done before is using a metronome in my putting practice. Just writing it down. Just <laughs> the idea that and, and what he and it's really a simple concept, but that your the pace of your putter, in my case, has always been sort of quick back, quicker to the ball. But but it hasn't been even. And what, what the Metronome does is it gives you an even pace back and through. And I'm going to tell you, with my putting and in my short pitching and chipping, because it's really all I've been able to do because of my shoulder, I can tell you it really has made a difference. It's made a difference in my speed control, and it's made a difference in the center-hittedness of contact because I'm not rushing to the ball anyways thought that's a little idea to pass Oh that's on.
1: awesome well Mike Hebron talks about rhythm all the time and that that is uh you know you're that's 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 being in the physicality of the game is letting that thing just go and you in essence you you're using the tool in a way that connects with your body in a in a way that just you you're more connected to to everything when you're in, in rhythm. that space of, yeah, because I mean, you're because you're truly uh, again. I come back to it all the time. You're really in your body as opposed to thinking about doing it the right way.
0: Exactly, um, because when you're in your body, you need to be. Think, you, your body is feeling that rhythm, and, and I've been wearing my sort of my little earbuds and putting with that metronome in my ear, and it's it's quite something. Uh, Tim O'Connor. Uh, wonderful as always. Uh, that was a good little extra stuff there. Thanks to um, Weeks, Mike Neighbors. Thanks to uh, TaylorMade and Adidas, and uh, O'ConnorGolf.ca, Humble and Fred Show. Blah blah blah. Do you have any Ellen? You want to say something?
1: <laughs> well, I'm off to um, the Canadian Golf, the Canadian University Golf Championships. With, nice. Uh, Where's that? With our team. That's at Fire Rock in uh Kamoka, which is just outside of london so uh really looking forward i get to hang out with uh golf nerds aged from about 19 to uh 26 or so nice and yeah it's it's really fun and uh we have really good players so we could do really well in this uh our our top women's player sarah dunning she could win it nice so, so it's really fun so i'm looking forward to that
0: uh, looking forward to hearing all about it all right kids we'll see you uh next time on swing thoughts the uh, this show
1: the <laughs> premier, take
0: premier care. metal, game, the show. Premier metal game show all right buddy take care
1: down, bye, down,
0: bye. anything else hold on hold
3: on